What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. What's up, fellas? Welcome back to Commas Over Cool Brew with me, your host, Emma Abrahamson. Today we are branching out from the running community. I'm really excited. We're getting a perspective from a different sport, which is really exciting. We're talking to Samantha Peshik, who was a 2008 Olympic gymnast. She also competed for UCLA. She is now retired and is an entrepreneur. So it was really cool to see the similarities and differences in both of our sports. So this episode was really awesome and I hope you guys enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by something I've been working on for the last couple months and I'm really excited to talk about, which is Craze Foods, specifically the Craze Foods peanut butter coffee bar. So you'll probably hear me talking about them more in these podcasts and see them in all of my content because this is really exciting for me. The Craze Foods bar is a peanut butter coffee bar sweetened with honey, which packs 55 milligrams of caffeine from real coffee. They're made with super simple ingredients like peanut butter, coffee, honey, whey protein, oat flour, and natural vanilla. I use them before I train and they are a big energy boost, plus convenient when I'm traveling around and I want something to tie me over to the next meal. So the reviews are already coming in amazing on Amazon. So thank you to all who have reviewed and tried the bars. I got to read the most recent one from Madeline. So thank you, Madeline, for submitting this review. She said, I almost don't want to give these such a positive review because I want them all to myself and I don't want them to sell out. But... These are in fact so tasty and satisfying. I eat one almost every day and now I can't imagine my life without them. A little dramatic, but true. I've tried eating them as pre-run and post-run snacks and they've been great every time. The combo of peanut butter and coffee is perfect. 10 out of 10, super yum, and we'll be buying these again. So they are back in stock right now on Amazon and you can pick up a box for yourself and the link attached to this episode in the show notes. Hopefully you like them as much as Madeline did. So go try them out. Let me know what you think. Today's episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Do you want to run farther and faster and recover quicker and easier? Do you want to feel healthier than you've ever felt before? You need to make a change, and that's what Inside Tracker is all about. Founded by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard, Inside Tracker is a personalized health and wellness platform like no other. What's their secret? First, Inside Tracker uses a patented algorithm to analyze your body's data and offer you a clearer picture than you've ever had before of what's going on inside you. Then, Inside Tracker provides you a concrete, science-backed, trackable action plan for reaching your performance goals and feeling your healthy best. I absolutely love Inside Tracker. I'm so glad that I got my blood work done because through Inside Tracker, now I have an actionable plan that I can use to make my nutritional changes to make me feel my healthy best. So I was honestly shocked by the results, but I want to do a whole episode on my results with like a registered dietitian so we can talk about like what my results were and how I'm changing them with my diet. And yeah, so stay tuned for that. But if you guys are interested, Inside Tracker is offering my listeners a 25% off discount to their entire store. So just go to insidetracker.com slash Emma. That's insidetracker.com slash Emma because change is an inside job. Now let's get straight into today's episode.
Sam, welcome to the podcast. I'm super excited to have you on. Um, to get started, do you just want to give a little bit of a rundown of who you are and what you're about? Yeah. Hi, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Sam Peshek, and I am probably most known for my gymnastics career. Ended up going to the Olympics in 2008 and winning a silver medal with our team. Um, I did gymnastics at UCLA, became a three-time NCAA champion, and since I retired, I am now an entrepreneur, a podcast host, and a broadcaster. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, so for the people listening, you know this podcast has been very like focused around running, but I'm excited to get a different athletic point of view. Um, so to start off, do you just want to tell us how you got your start in, in gymnastics, like when you started and how you got going? Yeah, I started when I was two years old. My mom was a collegiate gymnast. My dad was a collegiate uh, hockey player and a wrestler. And honestly, I think it was just, you know, the the youngest sport that you can put a kid in. Um, And so I fell in love with it from day one. I did do soccer and dance for a little bit, but, you know, pretty early on, um, I knew gymnastics was my thing and I wanted to kind of dedicate all of my time to it. Two years old? (laughs) What? What sort of like things are you doing if you're two? And do you remember? No, absolutely not. I'm, it, it's like a mommy and me class. So everyone always says like two, but it's not like I was really doing gymnastics until, you know, a few years older. Did you feel pressured by your mom to like be really good at gymnastics? And like, even though you said you were doing soccer and stuff, like, did you feel like gymnastics was the route that you were going to go from the start? You know, it's so funny. My mom was really involved with gymnastics, even when I was doing it, but she was like the opposite of that. And I think it's because she did the sport. So she understands like how much pressure there is with it. And I think, you know, talking to her now, she's like, I was hoping you weren't going to be good because, you know, (laughs) it's such a time commitment and there's just a lot of, you know, the pressure gets, gets a little heavy, the better that you get in it. And so I just remember crying because I wanted to do more hours and more privates. And I always wanted to be at the gym. And my mom, I think was the driving force and kind of making me well-rounded and keeping me in school and, you know, both my parents, but, um, kind of making sure that I had a life outside of gymnastics as well. So what does the training look like? So when did you like start getting serious? And then what, (laughs) I'm just very curious as to what, what it looks like. Yeah. So I started competing. I think you had to be six at the time to start competing um, in level four, and then you progress throughout the levels. Um, and I ended up making the junior national team at 12. I was the youngest member of the junior national team and then started competing internationally, uh, with my teammates. So I would go to my first international assignment was in Mexico, Cancun, ironically. Um, and so that's kind of when things started getting pretty serious for me because, uh, once you make the national team, it's no, no longer about you or the club gym that you represent, you're representing the United States of America. And so, um, it becomes really serious right away, which I didn't realize at the time, um, because I still loved it so much and going to the national team training center and the national team camps. And, um, I became really great friends with all of those girls that I'm still good friends with today. And so that's kind of when, you know, it shifted from being a casual sport to being more serious and 
the national team coaches definitely made you, you know, aware that <laughs> it was no longer just fun and games. This was, this was your job now. So um, yeah, it was kind of a constant balance between f- keeping the fun for me. And then also knowing that I have this responsibility to carry on the legacy of USA gymnastics. How many hours a day were you training at that point? Like when you were 12? When I was 12, I was probably training, I think I trained like five hours a day, Monday through Thursday, and then Saturday, and then Fridays was a little bit, a little bit shorter. So maybe like two or three hours that day. So, um, a good amount of, a good amount of time I was spent training. (laughs) (laughs) That is so different than like running. I mean, running, you can only do so much or else it starts to have negative impacts on your body, but like what? Like, what are you filling that five hours with? That's like, I mean, I'm sure it's very hard on the body, but it must be like quite different than running. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that drew me to gymnastics and I mentioned that I did soccer growing up um, and I really liked soccer. I I just liked sports in general. Um, But I think the thing that really made me gravitate towards staying with gymnastics is that it was kind of like four sports in one with the events. And so, you know, as much as I thought that was a great thing and so fun when I was younger, you know, the older you get, that means you have to be an expert on all four of those events. So you warm up for about 30 minutes, then you do about, you know, 30 minutes to an hour of conditioning before you even start events, you're at an hour and a half of training or two hours. And then you go to your first event and usually spend an hour on each event um, ish. And then you finish with 30 minutes of conditioning and kind of a cool down. So, I mean, the older and, and better that I got, the, the less gymnasts that were in my group. So whenever I finished my assignments, I could kind of move on. So the timing was dependent on how well I was doing that day, I would say. Um, but yeah, so it was still a lot of training, no matter how quickly I got the assignment done. Man, I cannot even imagine. How do you recover from that to like be able to do it all again the next day? Like what were your recovery routines? It was hard. I mean, I remember training for the Olympics and I was doing, you know, some of the hardest skills in the world at the time and waking up in the morning, like at six or whatever, five, whatever time to go to school and not being able to, to like walk to the bathroom. I had to like crawl because my body hurt so bad and just thinking like, okay, I'm, there's just no way I can like punch today or like use my legs today. And then lo and behold, like few years, few hours later, my body would start to warm up and then I would go to the gym and I'd do it all over again. So, um, it was a little unique because a lot of my national team members could split up their practices. So I would do like a couple hours in the morning and then finish the night training, but I went to high school full time. So it just wasn't an option for me to split up my training. So I had to get it all done in one session, which is pretty tough. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to ask, were you homeschooled at all? Or you just went to school full-time as well? Yeah. I went to school full-time the year, the year of the Olympics, I took one online class and I skipped resource or like study hall, whatever it's called. So I did have like a modified schedule one of the years, but yeah, I'm really lucky that I could stay in school. I loved high school. I loved my, you know, non-athlete friends in high school. And it kind of was a good outlet for me mentally, I think. So that was a blessing in disguise. What was that like going to high school as like training for the Olympics or essentially like going to the Olympics? Did people think that you were like famous? Like, were you treated differently? Um, no, I mean, most of the kids I went to high school with, um, 
I went to grade school with. So they kind of knew me as like the gymnast, but I think because gymnastics isn't like a school sanctioned sport, the way that football or baseball is, no one really understands how good you are until you start kind of slowly showing up in the paper and then on the local news. And then I think, you know, I went to world championships going into my sophomore year of high school. And I think that was the year that people were like, oh, wow, like this girl is... (laughs) girl's actually kind of good at what she does. And so that was kind of the year that people started becoming curious, I would say, but everyone did such a good job of just letting me live a normal life. And, and it wasn't, you know, I was just there every day. We, we wore uniforms to school. So I was in the same uniform as everybody else. And I would say the biggest thing that my school helped me with was giving me my homework ahead of time and working with me on like how to get it all done. They never let me out of an assignment. It was a pretty academic (laughs) school, but they would always let me um, like come in school early and and help me with whatever I need. I can't even imagine what your schedule looked like back then. (laughs) I can't even imagine what my schedule was like back then. It's really (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then when did you know that you were going to go to the Olympics? Like when were you like, okay, I think I have a good shot. It's a good question. I mean, I first wanted to go to the Olympics when I was five. I saw the Olympics on TV. And I was kind of very like bold, cocky kid. And so after that moment, I would just, you know, tell like the grocery store person or like my teacher, I'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna go to the Olympics one day. You know, and a little kid, you don't have any idea of what that means or how hard it's going to be or anything like that. And so that was always in the back of my mind from a young age. And then once I started to to get good, obviously, you know, the, that boldness kind of became more of a backseat voice uh, mentally. But, you know, once I made the national team, I was like, okay, I mean, this is people that are on the national team make the Olympics. So it was kind of always a stepping stone, but I didn't know I was going to make the Olympics until the day my name was called. <laughs> that is amazing. That's so funny because I was just talking to um a steeplechaser track event um, who made it to the Olympics and she has done like really well. And she was like, I didn't know that, like, I didn't have my sights set on the Olympics until like college, you know? So it is, it's kind of crazy because gymnasts are so young when they go to the Olympics that I feel like you just have to think about it more when you're younger. Um, So it is interesting to get that perspective, but what were the Olympics like? Like, was it everything that you expected? Is it everything that you like see on TV? No, it's so, it's so funny. People ask me that a lot, a lot. And I was 16 and I don't know if I just didn't have an idea of what it would be like. You know, I had an idea of what like the competition would be like, but you know, there's so much more than that. It's the Olympic village. It's all the gear. It's, you know, not seeing your parents for a while. It's living with your teammates and it's train still training twice a day in a foreign country. And, um, you know, it, so it's hard because I'm not sure that I had a really big expectation or like of what it should be like, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, personally, I got hurt the five minutes before the competition, I ended up doing um, bars. And so was fortunate enough to still be able to compete. So in terms of like individual success, it wasn't what I had planned, but it was still such an amazing experience, like looking back and being able to earn a silver medal with my team at the Olympic games is, you know, one of the coolest things you can do. What was that like getting injured five minutes before? Like that had to be just soul crushing. Yeah, not ideal. It was, it was definitely not ideal. I actually um, tore my meniscus before we flew over to China and 
it was a big discussion of whether they were going to send me home and bring in the alternate. And I was like, absolutely not. I'll be fine. And so my options were to, you know, either go home or live with the pain and be able to do my gymnastics. Like I didn't have a torn meniscus. So that's what I did for a while. Um, and so once I touched down in China, I had to do all of my stuff, uh, no matter how painful it was on my knee. But I think, uh, you know, the way your body shifts and adjusts to, to pain and stuff, it kind of made me cockeyed on one of my elements. And I, you know, landed super weird on my ankle. It popped and tore every ligament in my ankle five minutes oh. before. And so, you know, first I was like, I'll be fine. I'm fine. You know, I was already fine with my knee. Um, and it just wasn't enough time for the cortisone shot to kick in before we walked out into the competition floor. So, you know, I just remember begging, like, can you put me in? Can you put me in? And they're like, no, we, we really need you on bars to hit your bar routine. And if something else happens and you can't do that, then, you know, that's not really helping the team in that way. So I really had to shift from being what I thought as a key, key competitor to more of like a cheerleader role. Yeah. And then what was that? What was that like? Like you still competed, but not, not exactly what you expected. Like, how was it? playing the cheerleader, I guess, more so. I think it was just all, it all happened so fast that you don't have time to process what happened, you know? And I think when you're living with your teammates and they're like your sisters, they, I was so close to that. We were all so close. And so my mind just immediately went to like, I felt so guilty that I got hurt. Like, what can I do to help them? Because, you know, it switched all the lineups up and it switched, you know, how much time they have to prepare and who they have to rely on now. So, you know, as much as gymnastics is an individual sport, when you get to the Olympics, it is a team sport. And I knew that it affected them in that way. And so I wanted to do whatever I could to, you know, make sure they had their like water and chalk and give them that pump up talk that to let them know that it was going to be okay, even though I couldn't, you know, physically be doing all of my gymnastics. What was their response to your injury? Um, I think it was kind of the same as mine, you know, like everyone, it's such a whirlwind in a competition that we were about to walk out. Like no one really had time to like think about it or process or like they had to focus on their job. Um, so yeah, it was just a, just a crazy situation. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, that's still amazing that you got to, uh, compete and grab that silver medal. What was, what was it like standing on the podium? It was, it was mixed emotions, to be honest. I mean, we won world championships the year before um, with almost the, the exact same makeup of the team. We came in as the favorites and we expected to win. So the fact that we didn't win, I think it was, it was really tough for us to appreciate winning and earning a silver medal. Um, I know we look back at photos and like all of us just have like weird perma fake smiles on because, you know, we, we, it was such an honor to compete for our country and we put it all on the floor and we did the best that we could, but we also expected so much of ourselves and our team and, and wanted to walk away with gold. And so it was kind of a, a weird mixed emotions. I mean, looking back now, I'm, I'm so grateful for the experience and happy, but I think it took a little bit for all of us to get there because, you know, you don't, especially being an American, you don't go into a competition hoping to lose. And um, so that was, that was a little tough for us to kind of get past the disappointment and really appreciate, you know, the amazing things we were able to accomplish at that meet. And then, so once the Olympics are over, like what, what's the next goal after that? How did you 
you came home from the Olympics and then what was your mindset like? It was, it was weird because, you know, I've been on such a structured training plan my whole life. And now all of a sudden, you know, I have to like heal my injuries and make up all my schoolwork. And meanwhile, my teammates were on tour. So I was going to school like Monday through Thursday, I think. And then flying to whatever tour stop my friends were at doing like a gymnastics tour, which is essentially like I imagine if you were a rock star at a concert, like we, we slept on tour buses, we got oh to like write on a list, whatever food we wanted. And someone would go like get the food for us. And we would have like all of these snacks and had essentially no rules and just had like a slumber party with our best friends to like celebrate this whole time. And then Sunday night, I would have to fly home and Monday I would be wearing my uniform again and having my shirt tucked in and not allowed to use my cell phone or chew gum. So it was just such a, a weird, like I was felt like I was living a double life of this like normal high school kid. And then this like athlete that gets to like travel around the world doing fun shows. So um, I think it took a little bit for me to like come down from the experience but once I committed to UCLA, I felt like I had, you know, another goal, like, okay, I'm going to college, I'm still going to be doing gymnastics, and I have some like collegiate goals I want to do. So what was it like having a like full on professional <laughs> athletic career going to the Olympics before your NCAA career? Because I feel like, I don't know, in my brain, every other sport, it's like the opposite. Yeah. And, and it's crazy too, because, you know, different from some of my teammates, I decided to keep my amateur status so I could do gymnastics in college, which, which also meant I wasn't able to accept any money. I so was going to ask about that. I was like, are you able to accept money before? No, no. So anything that I would make, I wasn't allowed to keep. So because I was on the national team, I got like a certain stipend, but you have to turn your receipts in and it can only be used for, you know, something to help your training. So that was also just a weird phenomenon too of, you know, working basically and not being able to, to be compensated for it or, you know, rewarded for it, like on tour and stuff like that. Man, that is, why did you decide to do that? Um, my parents both did college athletics and I always knew that I wanted to. Um, and so it would have taken a lot for me. I would have had to you know, we would have had to win. And I, I don't know, it would have had to be a very different Olympic experience if I would have mm -hmm. changed my mind. And gymnastics to me, I always wanted to be fun. And so I was worried too, that if I decided to, to take money and get an agent and be professional with it, it would add so much outside pressure when the sport is hard enough. I just wanted to do it because I liked it. Um, and not because I had to, if that makes sense. Yeah. What was the difference between like your um, professional career and then your college career? Like what was the, I guess, cultural differences too? Oh, everything, everything. <laughs> it's almost like a different sport, you know, to be honest. Um, in college, I mean, you train with all of your teammates every single day and you, your season is shorter, but you compete every single weekend instead of once every other month. Um, yeah, the, the vibe, you're only allowed to train 20 hours a week per the NCAA rules. And they're really strict with that. And it's, it's a good transition out of gymnastics. So it's just not as, I mean, it is serious, but it's not as like, uh, disciplined of training. Like you're allowed to have fun and you're allowed to just kind of enjoy the sport. And so it's such a good 
way to kind of peacefully leave and retire from the sport, if that makes sense. That is, I just can't even wrap my brain around that entire experience because for me, I mean, as a runner and for every other runner, basically it's like college is like the pinnacle. It's like you're training as hard as ever, you know, trying to get to that professional level. So it must just feel wild to like decompress yeah, it, it's really fun. And I mean, I was lucky to have such a great coach that understood the, the, how serious the elite world is. And her main focus was helping us to enjoy the sport. And so, you know, realizing it took me a while to kind of like untrain my brain to, you know, be able to like smile and laugh and joke around at practice and not feel like I'm going to get in trouble. And, um, you know, but some of the other things I did, you know, really hard skills and, difficulty in my elite career. And that's not rewarded in the code of points and the rules for college. So that was something that I was really bummed about because that was kind of my Achilles heel in the sport. So that was taken away when I got to college in a way. So um, yeah, there's just a lot of so much, so many differences, like the rules are different. So it's, it's, it really is like a different sport. Which one did you enjoy more? People ask me that it just, it's, it's, it's like comparing apples and oranges, you know, like I, I couldn't imagine not doing either of them. If that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So, it's just two different experiences, I guess. So different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, like, what was it like basically completing your career before, I don't know, adulthood? I don't know. Um, you know, I think, I think, you know, accomplishing something like that at a young age on one hand is so cool. And, you know, but on the other hand, it's really hard because you're finding your identity and you're trying to figure out, you know, what you want to do next. And, you know, I didn't really think a day past the Olympics when I was training, which I think helped me get to the Olympics in a way. But then once it was over, it was like, okay, wow, I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but like, I need to put still put one foot in front of the other and figure out my next step and figure out what I want to do with my life. Um, and I think it always puts this pressure on you to, you know, show up and, and want to continue to accomplish more because you kind of achieved, it's like playing a video game and, and you beat the game, but yeah. you know, you still have to like live life. So, um, you know, figuring out that, that it's okay to have more goals and, starting over, I think is a really hard thing once you're at the top of your whole sport and you've worked your whole life to be there. And then all of a sudden you just have to start all over. So, you know, that whole process is pretty daunting and just, just a lot to handle mentally, but it obviously so worth it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Did you want to go to the Olympics again? Or like, what was the goal after 2008 and into your collegiate career? Yeah, I was still training elite. Um, I wanted to go to, you know, the world championships the following year. So I competed in that meet, but I split my um, labrum in half, my shoulder. Oh, yeah, that was not great. Um, Taking time, long periods of time off of the sport of gymnastics is really hard for your body, especially when you're going through puberty and you just finished the Olympics and all of that. So, you know, kind of trying to stay in shape and stay healthy was, is really tough, which is why you typically see gymnasts peak at a younger age than other sports. 
Um, so yeah, I did want to go to the Olympics again. Uh, when I, when I got to college, I was still training some of Olympic level skills, but then I just realized, you know, I, I wanted to enjoy my college experience and I wanted to enjoy, you know, going to school and classes and training with my teammates. And, um, I felt like if I was training for elite, I wasn't fully, you know, dedicating my time to the team as well. Yeah, that makes sense. What was gymnastics culture like? Like, what was it like going through puberty in your sport? And like, how did coaches handle it? I guess in terms of like that aspect. My individual coach was so great. He is like such an awesome guy. He was this Chinese man that everything he did was around respect. And so the only times he would get like actually, actually upset is if I wasn't respecting myself, the equipment or you know, my teammates are him. And so, um, I remember one day I was just trying to, to do this skill and I couldn't do it. And I was so frustrated and I like kind of threw, I, I say that I lightly tossed my grips, but he thought that I threw them and that was <laughs> disrespectful. And I got in so much trouble. So I'm so lucky to have had him, um, because I know not all gymnasts at my level had, had the same kind of experience with their coaches. Um, but yeah, in terms of, you know, puberty and, and dealing with all of that, we're in leotards. So it's, it's tough to, um, still look like, you know, the, the typical gymnast, but also your body is changing and you're wearing leotard every day and, um, you have to compete at your best. And so it, I think it's, it's, I think that the sport of gymnastics is changing where there's a lot more conversations around how to handle it and, um, you know, nutritionists to talk to and, um, doctors to talk to and things like that. Whereas like we were kind of just navigating on our own and I'm lucky that, you know, me and all my teammates had such a good relationship that we were just really open with each other to get, to get through those tough times. Yeah. It's crazy. Cause even though gymnastics and running are two very different sports, in running, like you're running in a top in like those little bun huggers. So it's like the same thing, essentially. It's like you're running in small outfits. And I feel like it's kind of, we're kind of on the same wavelength, like running. There's a lot more conversations going on about like eating disorders and body image in the sport nowadays compared to like, I don't know, even a few years back, like not that many people were opening up about it. So maybe it's just the whole like mental health movement and everything that more people are just being open about their experiences. But I mean, I hope for both sports it's talked about it more often and people aren't, you know, hiding their struggles just for like the younger generations to come. But I don't know, it's kind of interesting just to see the duality, I guess, between the two very different sports. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I know for, for runners, it's so important to look a certain way and uh, your body to be made up a certain way and to eat at certain times for, you know, optimal performance. And it's, it's similar for gymnastics. I mean, it's such a um, fine line because, you know, if you are, you know, overweight or, you know, your body can't handle that much, it's a risk to injury. And I'm sure it's the same in running. So there is, you know, you do have to be smart about, you know, what, how can I be lean and have enough food to fuel my body appropriately, but also stay lean. So my body isn't, you know, breaking down, um, and, and is light enough to flip basically. Yeah. And that, I mean, for you, that's like so crazy to have to navigate all that at such a young age too. I can't even imagine when your body's like not fully developed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you kind of have to like relearn skills. So, I mean, when I was 12 or 13, I'm, 
learning all these crazy skills and then you're going through puberty, you're growing, you're, and so the, the weight of your body when you're doing certain skills is different. And so, yeah, it's, it's so impressive. You know, even when I look at athletes now and gymnasts now, I'm, I know the ins and outs and it's still, it's more impressive to me now looking at them than even thinking about what I went through because you don't really know anything different when you're in it but it's kind of like when you're out of it, you look back and notice a lot of things that happened. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have so much appreciation for gymnasts today and, and I feel like they have a lot more of a voice and, um, awareness and appreciation of all that they can do than, you know, our generation did. Yeah, definitely. How did you handle like pressure, whether that was internal or external, because I'm sure you had a lot in both, (laughs) in both aspects at such a young age? Well, first of all, I feel like I always did better with more pressure. So it, it wasn't always a bad thing for me. Um, I would say that I didn't really have external pressure. You know, my parents were so supportive and I totally felt like from the beginning of my gymnastics career that I had unconditional love from them, no matter what meet I made or what team I made. Um, and so I feel like all the pressure came from myself. Um, and you know, just when you're competing for team USA, you kind of have like this, not that all of America is like resting on your shoulders, but in a way you, you do kind of feel that way. You, you want to do well for them. So, um, kind of just taking a deep breath and understanding that, you know, you have good intentions and you gave everything you have a hundred percent. So whatever happens in the competition, that's what's meant to happen. Did you ever have any time where you like let the pressure get to you? And like, what does that look like? Because for running, it's like, if someone really stresses out before a race, it's like you kind of blow up and maybe you like go out the back and you fall off the pack or whatever. But what does it look like in gymnastics? Yeah, I remember, I mean, my first year competing as a senior, um, I was 15 years old and I was competing in championships. It's like the, you know, competition, the biggest competition in the U S to make the national team and and to qualify for world championship team. So they kind of had told me that if I did my job, that I would be selected for world championships. So I knew I just had to do my job. And so I went into the meet just being so nervous to do my normal job that I actually fell like three times. I had, I don't think I've ever fallen that much in a competition. It was like the worst meet of my life. And like one thing spiraled and then, you know, you have one little mistake. And then instead of me just shaking it off, I was like, oh my gosh, those are my chances. I'm never going to make the Olympics now. And it turned into this whole thing and turned into all these other mistakes. And so it was a two day competition. Thank God. So I was in, you know, what I thought was a lot of trouble day one of like, what the heck? I just totally blew my chances. And, you know, my parents had to, my parents and coach were like, okay, you know what? Let's just have fun. Go in the next meet. Let's just have fun. Do your job. Like, you know, you're, you're definitely not going to make the team now. So just have fun. So I ended up, you know, having like the best meet of my life (laughs) and polar opposites. Yeah. Polar opposites. And so uh, got chosen for in the alternate spot and then ended up, ended up having to like earn my spot on the team. So I ended up making the world championship team that year, but it was like the biggest roundabout way of like, <laughs> so dramatic, it. so dramatic. Um, yeah, because I was, I kind of put too much pressure on myself, which I, I learned. I thought that I, 
you know, wanted more and more and more pressure. But this was like the first moment that I realized like, okay, there's definitely a line of let's put pressure, but it doesn't need to be like the weight of the world is resting on this one moment. Yeah. And gymnastics is such an individual sport. Like running is too, I guess, but you always have the team aspect of running. I mean, I guess track is kind of individual, but um, what was it like growing up and like not, I mean, you, I guess when you go to like world competitions and everything, you, you have that team, but say a meet like that, where it's like, you have your parents and your coach, what was it like? I'm assuming you didn't have a team to like, kind of go back to, or did you? No, I mean, sometimes girls have a team. And when I started out with doing the elite program, I had a couple girls that were training with me. So that was fun. Um, but once I made the national team, I didn't have any teammates from my home gym, but you go to, I mean, I went to the national team camp once a month for seven years of my life, basically. So it was the same girls every single month. So you would room with them, you would get to know them. And so even though I didn't have girls that trained with me every day, we would talk every single day. And when we got to meets like that, we would be in rotations together. So we would cheer for each other. Um, And so it was, it was very, it's funny because I think people have this idea of gymnastics that it's such an individual sport and we're always out to get each other competing with each other. And like, don't get me wrong. Like we all want to beat each other, but you also want the other person to do their best too. So it's, it's really a supportive culture. I mean, I always say that it's such a hard sport that you would not make it to the top unless you had some sort of support from those girls around you. <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess running is the same way. Like people go to training camps and you train with people from other teams or like other sponsors and stuff. So yeah. it's another similarity between two very different sports, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and what was it like transitioning out of like your competitive career? How was that experience for you? Like deciding to retire? Well, I retired the last day of my college competition. So I kind of knew that it was going to be my last year of doing gymnastics. And so I will say that the most amount of pressure and the most nervous I ever was for a competition was my very last routine ever. Wow. I just remember saluting and being like, okay, I could totally fall six times and that would be how I finish my career, you know, or like, this is it win, lose, good, bad. I don't get another chance. And so I just remember, you know, being so nervous for that, that competition. So, um, I did my routine. I ended up winning that, that meet and that beam routine. And so it was like the most fairy tale way to end my career and everything that I think I needed to, you know, peacefully move on. And I was someone that like always loved doing gymnastics. So I actually was nervous that I was gonna be sad and like wanting to be a gymnast, but the next day I woke up, I mean, I have not ever wanted to be a gymnast again, which is perfect (laughs) because it was like the most peaceful transition into, I was so excited to learn how to ski and do all these things that I wasn't able to do, go on all these trips, travel, you know, like when you're training, you can't leave, you have to have a structured life. And so I think that kind of led me to, you know, my career now of being an entrepreneur where I just have the ultimate freedom of my schedule, my work, my travel, you know, all of that, because I lived for so many years in a box, you know, in this very structured way. Yeah. Did you have other hobbies that you were like 
interested in, I guess, because I'm sure your entire life was dedicated to training and gymnastics. Yeah, no, gymnasts, and I, I guess I don't want to speak for all gymnasts. Maybe they're a lot more creative with like TikTok and things now. I don't know, but <laughs> no, no, we don't have, we don't really have hobby. And it's funny because I'm still trying to like find a hobby. <laughs> I feel like people are like, oh, like what's a fun fact? What's a hobby? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> not much. Like, yeah, I'm like, I, I don't know. Does like working out now just like for fun count? They're like, no. I'm like, oh, <laughs> well, that's the only thing. Yeah. I like, I enjoy my business and like growing that. Does that count? They're like, no. So anyway, if you have any good suggestions, I mean, I, I graduated in 2018 and that was like basically the end of my competitive running career, which I had done my whole life. So I too am still trying to find other hobbies and my life was like dedicated to running. So I definitely feel that, but I would say the same, like working out, I like cooking too. So but I'm like, that's like, like what people do wine. every day, <laughs> drinking wine. Yeah. Does drinking wine count as a hobby? I like planning trips. I just like, it's almost more sad when I try and come up with a hobby that I'm doing than just saying I don't have one. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's like the worst question to ask. I'm sorry. I apologize for okay. asking it. That one and like, what's a fun fact? That I'm like, I don't have any. Hard. I'm not fun. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> what did you study in college? Um, I majored in communications. Okay, nice. And then what, what was like your first job? Like you graduated and you're like, all right, what are, what are you doing now? Yeah. So I actually, um, I actually had a job interview for Deloitte. Um, I don't know if you've, mm-hmm. you know, like a consulting firm, but yeah. So I wanted to go to, um, business school and do that whole corporate route. And so I just remember waking up the day of my interview being like, having a panic attack of like, oh my gosh, I'm going to like dedicate my life again to something really serious. I really want to take this summer to just enjoy and, you know, travel and, you know, not jump into something else because I feel like whenever I commit to something, it's like committing a hundred percent. I'm sure mm-hmm. you feel the same way. And so I, I just kind of had a freak out. I canceled my interview, ended up um, doing working other people's gymnastics camps all summer because I could get an Olympian fee for the first time. So oh, amazing. Yeah. That Finally was being able to capitalize off of your own talent. Right. Right. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, this is great. I'm going to like, you know, make, make a good amount of money. And then, you know, in the fall kind of figure out what I wanted to do. And so I always wanted to be a sports broadcaster as well. Um, and so I'm like, okay, I, I'm going to give myself a year to see if I'm good at it, to see if I get any jobs and then, you know, kind of figure out step-by-step. Step. So ended up getting a job with the PAC 12 networks that year, um, commentating for gymnastics. I, I loved it. Um, so that's kind of transitioned into, you know, I did sideline for football. Um, now I do ESPN broadcast as well for, for gymnastics. And, uh, then in the meantime, I started my own company called beam queen bootcamp, and it's a gymnastics event, traveling gymnastics event just for beam, which was my best event and my favorite event. So depending on like what season of the year it is, depends on like what career I'm doing at that time. (laughs) What career path you're deciding to take. Yeah. Yeah. I have like career ADD. I really like went with the spaghetti theory. with my careers. And so What's now spaghetti theory. Kind of, yeah. You know, like when you throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 yeah so I did that <laughs> with my careers, which 
I thought was a great idea, which is, it was a great idea, except, you know, luckily they're, they're all doing well. So now I just have to keep the plates spinning and, you know, figure out what I, what I really like. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like fun. You're always switching it up, you know? Yeah. It's do you have, something new. Do you have a favorite thing to like work on? People ask me this. I'm like, honestly, you know, when I get to the end of one season, I'm like, oh God, I'm, I'm like burned out. I'm ready to move to the next, but then I miss it by the time it comes around. So it's kind of like the perfect balance of, you know, being really intense with one career. Like when I'm in broadcast season, I'm gone every single weekend commentating and then theme queen season, I'm gone every weekend doing, doing events. So it's just a totally different role. I would say, yeah. Um, but I like it. It's it's really fun, and um, Beam Queen Bootcamp is growing. We just went international. We just launched an online platform, so kind of incorporating a lot of you know what we had to do from COVID into our business now is is cool. Yeah, well, that's really exciting. I'm sure a lot of people are interested. Even if we are all runners, it's very interesting to get a different perspective and just see what someone who competed at such a high level is like doing now. I mean, I'm always interested just because I don't know, retired athletes. It's like fun to just see what people move on to. Yeah. I mean, it, it is tough to, you know, you're so passionate about one thing for such a long time. It's really tough to kind of figure out what you want to do. I, I interned a couple for a few places in college. And I just remember at my internships being like, this is absolutely what I do not want to be doing. I would <laughs> never do this. So I also think it's just as important to figure out what you don't like to, to find what you do like. Yeah. It's a lot of trial and error. I'm the same way. Yeah. I, I feel like I've gone through quite a few jobs now I'm self-employed, but I feel like I, I did quite a few jobs where I'm like, I don't think that this is for me, but yeah. Yeah. Which is good. I think some people just stay in a job because it's a job, even though they don't like it. And, you know, you spend so much of your life working that, I mean, my work feels like not work. So I feel lucky in that way. Yeah. Yeah. That is the ideal place that everyone wants to get to. So that is awesome. Um, well to wrap up, what is like one, what is like the legacy that you want to leave on whether it's like the gymnastics community or just the world in general? Well, honestly, I'm, I'm kind of taking a step forward with that with Beam Queen Bootcamp. I mean, everything that I feel like the Balance Beam teaches gymnasts is such a parallel to life lessons. And so we have an entire session for confidence training because I feel like if you are a confident beam worker, um, that confidence transcends to all the other events and your life outside of gymnastics as well. And you and I both know um, that confidence piece is, is necessary to be successful in whatever you want to do. Um, so for me, I just really want to have an impact to inspire the next generation. Um, my parents always told me growing up that I could do whatever I wanted as long as I put my mind to it. And so passing on that message to other kids to empower them to follow their dreams is something that, you know, I really, really want to stand by. Well, that is awesome. Um, I'm excited to keep following along, seeing what you're up to. Where can people follow you at? You can follow me at Samantha Peshek, P-E-S-Z-E-K. Um, or if you want to check out Beam Queen, it's at Beam Queen Bootcamp. Cool. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you, you taking the time and us getting to know you a little bit better. So I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> 
Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Commons Over Cold Brew. I hope you enjoyed it. If you love the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you rated and reviewed on Apple Podcasts. It helps grow the podcast organically, and I just love reading your guys' reviews. It seriously makes my day. If you guys want to submit listener questions or podcast guest requests, follow at Convos Over Cold Brew Pod on Instagram, and I will hear from you guys in the next one. Peace out, fellas.